welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton, and I'm joined by Adam Grossman. Adam has an amazing show today and a great interview with Heidi Browning. Adam, can you tell us a little bit more about Heidi? Looking forward to it. Uh, Heidi is the Senior Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer of the National Hockey League. She leads the NHL's growth marketing strategy with a focus on digital innovation and social media. With more than 25 years of marketing experience, including success with major brands in Silicon Valley, Browning brings a valuable mix of client, agency, and media owner perspective to the NHL. Browning is known as a passionate pioneer in digital, mobile, and social marketing, and as an executive who advances new ideas and innovation within the industry. Inspired by the intersection of media, technology, and culture, Browning studies generational trends in attention and brand engagement. Her experience marketing to millennials and Gen Z audience, audiences is essential for engaging young sports fans and will help uh, guide her leaderships of NBA's new fan database and analytics initiative. What I found really cool about the interview was how he uses that social media and, and the star power of the players to really drive engagement. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Heidi is really focused on putting the players at the center of the fan engagement strategy, particularly, as you mentioned, leveraging star power and social media to really drive engagement with fans. Uh, under Browning's leadership, the NHL has experienced a 33% growth in followers on Facebook, Instagram, and, and Twitter. She spearheaded the introduction of eight new uh, Twitter accounts, um, in addition to new accounts on TikTok, Weibo, and WeChat accounts. As a result of a, fo a focused strategy on video content, video streams have increased 111% across Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Since Browning, Browning's arrival at the NHL, the league's instant rate engagement rate has increased by 58%, while followers on that account has increased by 46%. Heidi's work across digital, social, and mobile platforms complements her efforts to reach NHL fans across multiple different demographics and channels. And please enjoy Adam's interview with Heidi Browning. Western Masters of Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Grossman. With us today is the NHL Chief Marketing Officer, Heidi Browning. Heidi, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Um, we're really happy to have you. So well, we'd like to start out with asking you a little bit more about your background and how you got to your role as a CMO of the NHL. Sure. Um, well, I have uh, many years of experience. <laughs> I won't say exactly how many. Uh, it, <laughs> at the intersection of media, technology, and culture. And um, I've had the great fortune to be out here in San Francisco, working in Silicon Valley right in the beginning in the early days in digital media and marketing. And so I've worked in digital advertising agencies. Uh, I joined uh, Fox when they purchased MySpace and IGN and had an extraordinary experience there, which I can share more with you later. Uh, and then had the opportunity to work at Pandora and help bring a company public uh, and work through that. So that was, those are all really um, important experiences in my life because they all led me to this moment, which is uh, the CMO of the NHL. Now, I haven't worked in sports before, but I was able to draw upon my experience in digital, social, mobile, and data-driven personalization to bring those skill sets to the league and then learn more about what it takes to, to apply that in the sports marketing world. 
Yeah, actually, to your point, I, I do want to follow up with your outside of sports experience. One of the things that our students are looking at is, is should they pursue careers directly in sports as they graduate from the program? What are the benefits of working outside of sports before coming into sports? So yeah, if you could talk more about your MySpace and Pandora experience and how that's impacted your current world, that would be great. Yeah, I think that's a, such an important point that you, diversity of his experience is just as important as diversity of humans, women, you know, people of color, making sure that we're diversifying every aspect of an organization so that you're coming together with a holistic plan that will appeal to the broadest audience possible. Um, MySpace was a really exciting and interesting experience. It's like, I call it my business school of life experience uh, because we joined uh, MySpace when it was just taking off. Uh, it was, you know, breaking DoubleClick, which was the ad server. Um, you know, people were, it was growing so quickly, uh, you couldn't even keep it running fast enough. And that was a really interesting time because it was the moment at which all marketing shifted, right? So it was the moment when consumers all of a sudden had the power to be creators. They had videos and camera and phones in their hands. They now had a distribution platform through through MySpace so they could create and distribute. And it really um, sort of changed the dynamic between con the traditional content model that was out there. And um, one of the uh, really important things about that period of time is that it also changed the social contract that consumers have with brands. So the idea that you had a platform to have a voice and that your voice was expected to be heard and respected by a brand, that was new back in these days. And it's the, you know, the, the part of marketing that has endured, right, um, as we've continued to go on, consumers having a voice and a role in how brands behave and take leadership on everything uh, from, you know, their own businesses to how they're giving back to society. So that was a really special and extraordinary experience to be right on the front uh, end of that, really defining what it meant to be a friend of a brand uh, and really and measuring what the impact impact of that was to a brand's ultimate business. The, the other exciting experience um, that I've had was really around Pandora and bringing, uh, you know, this company that was the pioneer of personalization, right, really early uh, in the music business. And um, it, and they had this the cool, cool algorithm. Uh, it was called the Music Genome Project that allowed uh, us to use data science to anticipate and deliver the next best song to you based on your feedback. So it's not a recommendation engine like a lot of um, uh, these kinds of services are. It was true personalization. So you and I could both start with a, a Bob Marley station, for example, but by the thumbs up and the thumbs down that we give it, you and I'll have totally different experiences, even though we started with the same station. Now that is uh, so powerful because it was the early days of personalization and now we know how important personalization is uh, in terms of just cutting through the clutter and the noise but also creating relevant communications from a marketing standpoint so whether you're delivering the next best song that you knew that you never knew that you wanted to hear or you're delivering a personalized communication about your upcoming you know season ticket member plan all of these pieces are important and that power of data to really drive your business. That's what I learned at Pandora. 
Yeah, and a couple things emerged there that I wanted to follow up on. The first thing is data and the impact of data. That's obviously been a consistent theme in leveraging data to drive decision-making, uh, both it seems like at Mindspace, Pandora, and now at the NHL. Can you just talk more about how data influences what you're looking at from a strategic and execution perspective? Absolutely. I mean, data is everything. And we're so fortunate uh, to be in sports because you've got this incredibly active fan base, right? You've got real world data, everything that they're doing in the arenas, the stadiums, and, you know, and then you've got digital data. What are they buying from a merchandise standpoint? How are they engaging with all of our platforms? Um, you know, what's the conversation? What are the types of images they're liking and videos they're sharing? All of that full rolls up into how we look at um, our fan models, right? So if we want to grow our fan base, I always say, you got to know before you grow. So uh, we um, do a lot of analysis around, um, uh, around who our fans are today uh, and what are the different trigger points of, you know, how do we increase their avidity, whether it's through engagement or their propensity to buy uh, more merchandise or a different type of merchandise. Uh, all, of this, all of this data factors into that to help us grow our business and our audience base down the road. Now, with that being said, um, data is very hard. It's messy and it's really hard. And uh, uh, being at Pandora, I got to see what the beauty was of having this really, um, you know, starting from scratch, right? Asking for key pieces of information from the listeners in exchange for getting the music for free. We knew zip code, gender, age, and, you know, your favorite music and uh, where you were playing. We could tell your platform. We could tell time of day. There was a lot of science that you could put around that that would deliver predictive models, not only around the music that you want to listen to, but predictive models around what where you be likely to churn as a new customer, right? Because if you don't do, you know, these three things within a month, you are more likely to churn. Um, to also, what's your ad tolerance? Like we would serve ads at different times based on your behavior because some people are set it and forget it and you could serve an ad earlier in that. Other people were, you know, trying to find the right song or mood for them. So, so that kind of science coming into the NHL, I was like, wow, imagine what we can do with that. Well, you have to start with the foundation and the foundation is a unified data set. So we spent the last uh, two years really on a big, huge project to take all the data over 20 different sources uh, over all these years to unify them down to a unique customer base. So we know, you know, many customers have multiple email addresses. Just think about your own behavior over time, over the last, you know, 10, 20 years. Uh, there's a lot that we can create and connect. So we connected the um, transactional data with the um, engagement data and unified it. So now we're starting with a, a good solid base from which we're building on to learn more about each and every customer so that we can enable personalization across the board. So even little things like knowing your favorite team are really important, uh, you know, and so that's um, the next phase of our journey. 
our, our project is called Blade. Uh, it's our cute name for it, Code Blade. Uh, and so first it was aggregate the data, which we've done. Uh, next, we're moving into analyze. And the analyze phase is really about building propensity models uh, and uh, lifetime value models and, uh, and avidity models. And then the last part is activate. So it goes um, aggregate, analyze, and then activate. And the activate are those campaigns that we're running to actually move customers from, you know, uh, maybe a, a less engaged fan to a more engaged fan and through the funnel. Yeah. And one of the things I want to follow up, particularly for our audience, is you mentioned a couple models right now that you're in the analysis phase, propensity models, lifetime value models. Can you talk about one, you know, what those are for our audience and how you think about them, but two, uh, have there been so far in your early analysis, have there been any kind of insights or uh, things that maybe surprised you that you weren't thinking were come out of the data um, in, in ways that help to drive decision making going forward. Sure, and I, and I should preface this with we're still in the early days. Yeah. In fact, we're still building the models. But I can I can tell you kind of that the reasons why and the, the things that we're thinking about as we build these models. Right. So um, when you look at customers across the whole board, you've got the the. I call them like the lean back customers, right? Yeah. Where they might just tune into television, but they never buy a ticket. Uh, but they, you know, definitely follow us on television. Maybe they bought a jersey once in their lifetime. There's an opportunity to get them more engaged with our social and digital channels. There's an opportunity to, you know, get a special jersey that might come out or some some other form of merchandise that might enhance or update their, you know, purchases and their fandom on that front. Then you've got on the other side, you've got the super engaged fans. They're buying season tickets. They're buying all the merchandise. They they may have multiple teams that they like because they've seen their favorite players move from team to team. They're highly engaged in socials. They share. Um, the, the, those fans are um, incredibly valuable to us. We take a look at a combination of their transactional value and their engagement value and understand what their lifetime value to the league is. And then you can make decisions about where you invest your time and resources. Is it better to grow a fan, you know, feed the fans who are the most avid? Uh, will that be our long-term, you know, grow? We obviously want to take care of them from a, um, you know, a variety of, of aspects, but, it, you know, are, are we going to spend the majority of our marketing there or are we going to try to invest in bringing some of these casual fans deeper into the fold, knowing what the opportunity is with the lifetime value of the avid fan? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense and builds into the next question, particularly around the casual fan and your stated goal in other, you know, that you've mentioned to reach younger fans in particular as well. Uh, how has that informed your, you know, one of the things that we wanted to talk about in detail was the revamped and um, enhanced social media strategy that the NHL is taking, uh, particularly under your leadership. So how has some of the, you know, how has data or how has some of those uh, insights that you've generated shaped your social media strategy, particularly in the context of putting the players as the forward part uh, of social media campaigns. So uh, data informs everything that we do uh, from a social media standpoint. And uh, the biggest insight that's emerged from that, I call it humans over highlights. Yeah. So when you look at across all of our channels, uh, you'll see that the posts that rise to the, pot, the top, the posts that have the most engagement and the most shares 
are typically those human moments and they may or may not be on the ice, but they are definitely human moments. There are connections with fans in the audience. There are, you know, when the, the player throws the puck over the glass and the, you know, the young girl catches it. Those are things that everybody can relate to when the, you know, the, the rookie the, uh, has, you know, scores his first goal and his mom sees it and is crying. Those are all human moments that everyone can relate to. And those are the moments that connect us uh, beyond just the sport itself. And so uh, one of the, um, the, the big initiatives that we've had here um, is really educating the entire hockey ecosystem on the importance and the value of social media, right? So um, as, as you look across the sports landscape, you'll see that many other leagues and athletes are much more involved in social media than hockey players. And there's a reason for that. The hockey culture is one that's all about the team first. It's about the name on the front of your sweater, not the name on the back. And um, it, it's no one person ever stands out on a team. That's how hockey is. And uh, what we've been trying to educate everyone on is that you can be on social media and do it for the right reasons. You're doing it for the fandom. It's not to stand out or gain more attention than your teammates. In fact, you can even use social media to highlight your teammates and your line mates and what's so fantastic about them. And um, I, you've seen over the course of time, um, more and more players adopt and sort of the, the coming, uh, uh, becoming more comfortable with sharing those sides of their lives. We talk to fans all the time. We talk to you know current fans. We talk to casual fans, and the one thing, and we've got our power players advisory board, which is fifteen uh, kids who are thirteen to seventeen years old who advise us on all things. And the constant um, feedback we get is that they want more player focused content. They want to know who these players are off the ice you know well, who are their their wives and their girlfriends and their dogs and their kids and their workouts and you know every aspect of life people love to see that side and they expect to see it and when you look at the macro trend levels in sports what you see is um, globally on social media people follow athletes first then teams and then leagues and so for us to unlock growth we need to really focus on that athlete part uh, and one of the outcomes i will say of the pandemic uh, is when we put our league on pause all the players went home. They were just like us, trying to figure out what are they going to eat, what are they going to watch on Netflix, how are they going to work out, you know, all and get, you know, become teachers for their kids. Like every, we had this shared experience, including them, and we saw so many players participate in social media. It became, it was in fantastic. We had over six hundred and nineteen players out of almost seven hundred uh, post during this period in time, and uh, it wasn't just posts about themselves and their lives, but it was posts of um, messages of safety and health because they know that they have these important platforms and, um, you know, kids look up to them. So we want to make sure they're talking about masks and being uh, social distanced. Uh, but they also stood up uh, during the, you know, to, to make a stand against racism, uh, which was incredible um, from a 
evolution of hockey culture perspective. We've gone from not participating in social media at all to participating in great numbers to then standing up and making statements uh, in favor of social justice. And that to me is uh, an incredibly positive sign for the future uh, of where we're gonna go with our athletes and their platforms in terms of um, sharing with fans, but also building you know, for themselves, the athletes themselves building platforms for their their careers today as well as in the future yeah and one of the other things i want to talk about within the context of social media is the push to emerging technologies and emerging platforms which has been a consistent theme in your career you know the nhl has really pushed into whether it's snap through curated stories or tiktok you know how has that um how how have you decided to kind of reach out and really uh, accentuate content into emerging platforms and how have you you know, how have your athletes, particularly whether it's uh, Snap or TikTok, how have they responded to your push into and the league's push into these emerging channels with social media? I think everyone's, um, especially some of the the younger players, the prospects, um, their wives are highly active on a lot of these platforms. So it's kind of it's kind of fun to see um, the acceptance there. I, I would say um, the the majority of um, of uh, reasons why there hasn't been more activity in the past has really been more philosophical than their you know desire to. Um, use these different platforms. And you know what? We're learning every day. Like everything changes yeah. every day. And um, the, the best thing that we can share and educate uh, the players, the coaches, the GMs on is that, so, you know, social media is an incredibly powerful tool. You need to understand how to manage it, how to tune out the uh, trolls, if you will, how to, you, you know what I mean? Like that's one of the concerns every athlete has, right, is you don't want uh, to allow any trolls to get in your head. And the guys are in general, pretty good about that. You know, we can't, we can't stop the trolls from happening out there. Uh, but what we can do is focus on how do you handle and react and respond or not respond, it, which is the advice there um, to that kind of behavior. And how do you focus on really um, highlighting the things that you want to talk, the stories that you want to share. So many of our players do incredible work in their communities, giving back to youth sports, giving back to causes they care about. This is where there's a huge opportunity for us to go even deeper and have them use these platforms even more to advance their causes uh, and, and also you know teach uh, them how that not only can they advance uh, their causes and, and talk about what they're doing in community, but to use some of the clever tools that they have in Instagram and, and Facebook to do commerce right? So a lot of these players have their own brands or are raising funds for um, their charities. They can use these features within social media to actually drive that. So we try to take it, you know, from not only storytelling about who you are, but how can you activate around what is meaningful to you? Yeah. And we've talked a lot about the athletes and one of the other audiences, particularly as you're moving into social media and another consistent theme, particularly at Pandora is actually getting brands and brands involved in social media and emerging platforms, particularly at the, you know, at Pandora and now with the NHL. How do you communicate about these emerging technology platforms and how brands can leverage, whether it was Pandora or the NHL or the players, to engage with their customers uh, and really focus on, you know, engagement as a core metric to help build value and ROI? 
So what's interesting about the structure of the league is that I would call us a house of brands. So at the top, we've got the league and then our house of brands. We now have 32 uh, brands with the addition of Seattle, the Seattle Kraken. Congratulations, right here. Uh, thank you. It's all Seattle. They did a spectacular job with every aspect of that launch, including keeping the logo reveal completely yeah. secret. Um, there were only a couple of people in the league who knew that, what that looked like. Uh, right. So even I saw it for the first time when everyone saw it for the first time. So that was really exciting. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, I. I all of this is really about education and using stories of inspiration so that, uh, that uh, others can be inspired to do um, things on their own. So as the league, we try to provide best practices. Um, we hold weekly calls with the CMOs of all the clubs. And in those calls, we um, talk about you know a variety of topics, but quite often it's around what's happening in the social media space. And then we'll have club spotlights where they talk about what they're doing in their local market. Cause we've got some super talented club social media and marketers out there. And um, you know that's what's really fun is everybody can learn from each other. And then we help provide uh, data around it, benchmarks around it, so that we can all measure ourselves and grow um, both within the league and uh, benchmarked against other leagues and other organizations. How have you seen the, uh, you know, the, uh, at the team level and the organization level, have you seen the embracing of data and technology? Have you seen and you know, a change since you've been in your role? Uh, have you seen it become more of an, you know, an important consideration or is it, um, you know, how, how are people thinking about data and technology and analytics? So I've been so impressed with um, our teams because in many ways, they have been ahead of the curve on a lot of this. Many of our teams um, are also own, uh, many of our owners also own other teams. So we might sh have shared ownership with basketball and hockey and or hockey and football. And so, uh, or, you know, uh, giant uh, arenas that are multi-use and have music. And so the power of data for all of those um, use cases is so important important for them to understand, is there opportunity to cross-pollinate fan bases? Is there opportunity to take, uh, you know, ticket buying data for music and see, you know, how does it cross over with ticket buying for, you know, for sport? And can you grow the fan bases of both sides by doing that? So there's a lot of opportunity out there. And um, our clubs um, are all making a priority around um, business intelligence. That said, it's hard for all of us to get to, um, you know, the, the point of, what's the important data that, you know, you can get into data paralysis if you don't really get focused on what's the most important data points for you to fuel your business. The clubs are very sophisticated in anything around propensity models around ticketing. Uh, again, those ideas around what's um, an indicator of churn, what's an indicator of renewal, uh, you know, that kind of stuff is so important uh, for the clubs and they really take a personalized approach uh, with their season ticket members and their single game buyers to see how can they take a single game buyer into a smaller package and then eventually grow them? And one of the other things I wanted to mention that you brought up before is, you know, COVID and the coronavirus and the impact of the coronavirus, more specifically in terms of, um, obviously there's short-term impacts and um, we're talking as, you know, um, the NHL season is getting going again, but the, what do you see potentially emerging as uh, potential trends or potential um, innovations that maybe came from the coronavirus 
that can you know impact the teams in the league going forward. One of the things that was just announced today is your uh, new relationship uh, with Twitter in terms of providing highlight content for to start out with for the first and third periods at different times uh, of the game. Do you see content? You know, you mentioned content personalization, these small package highlights. What do you do? You see that as a as a potential trend, or what are some of the trends that you're seeing potentially accelerated by the coronavirus? There's so many trends. I think the acceleration of uh, esports uh, happened during the pandemic, both uh, you know for all esport games as well as our own game. So uh, when the league went on pause, um, many of our teams continued to do um, their schedule, but doing sim battles uh, using EA Sports, uh, and so that the NHL 20 was uh, an important factor for giving fans a little bit of, you know, uh, hockey back into their lives. We started to bring influencers in and do hockey tournaments with our players playing hockey, um, uh, both against each other as well as against uh, other influencers uh, and other athletes of other sports. So, uh, and that we experimented a lot with. Some were broadcast on Twitter, all on Twitch. Some were broadcast on uh, the RSNs, the regional sports networks, and some on national. So there was a lot of interest and enthusiasm uh, kind of around that. I don't think that's going to go away. I only think that's going to grow over time. Um, I also see that, you know, our Twitter um, live look in that integration or interaction between fan and content has always been important, but now it's even more important with live broadcasts. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that. Um, you know, we did a, a lot of experiments as well around re-airing, uh, you know, classic games and then having people, you know, broadcast in and sort of talk about their experiences. I think one of the, the greatest um, ones was like the Bruins did a reunion and St. Louis Blues did a reunion where they're all talking about what they were thinking and, you know, kind of watching the game in real time with each other. And that I think is a real, um, a nice balance between what's happening on broadcast, but still having that collective uh, experience, whether you're in an arena or not. Uh, the other uh, kind of trend that I see happening is this this idea around production and in you know we when we went on pause I, I think we were one of the first leagues to really adopt um, zoom as a content vehicle with our players and I'll tell you what it was fantastic uh, because they just felt it's like us talking right now. You feel like you're in the same room and you can have comfortable. And we had we had all the divisions uh, meet up, the division representatives from each division meet up and talk. And you know they have old rivalries and they had a great time with each other. But for us, that was like an aha moment, which is you don't have to have perfectly produced content to be effective. And we've known that in social media for a long time, right? Because you'll, if you look at a perfectly produced highlight versus the cell phone highlight, the cell phone highlights, the one that gets shared and engaged with the most. But what was new about this trend is taking the not perfectly produced content and putting it on broadcast media. That was, you know, verboten, you know, before. But when you have no other choice, you know, you see the late night shows doing it. You saw the big, you know, music drives. Like it's not perfect, but that's okay. It's real. And I think that we're going to see a continued trend towards the real authentic content being married with this really beautifully produced content. And our last question um, for you is, you know, um, 
this is a podcast geared towards students and people who are either have entered the sports industry and are looking to progress or people who are looking to uh, enter the sports industry for the first time. As somebody who's hired people in multiple different roles and in multiple different places, you know, what are you looking for when you're hiring people or what are you looking for in terms of how somebody can contribute and add value to the organization, um, you know, particularly as they're getting started or as they're trying to progress in their careers? Uh, number one, I look for somebody who's passionate and curious. Like if you're curious and you are always seeking to learn, I think you're going to absolutely, you know, grow in your career because that's what careers are, right? Really, it's really just about, you know, challenging yourself to learn more and do better and achieve results and then set a new bar. And so people who have that DNA are, are the people that um, I like to have in my org. I look at us as being, you know, sort of change agents, meaning that we, uh, you know, status quo for us is not acceptable. What can we do to grow and change and evolve? Because the truth is our fan base is, and we have to be, you know, ahead of the curve with that. Um, and be in touch with our fans in order to do that. The, the second thing I would say is that um, don't get hung up on the role, right? You know, uh, you go through school and you think, well, I'm going, you know, through school studying this and that, therefore my first role or my ultimate role should be that, you know, look at the foot in the door opportunity, right? So if you want to get into sports, you know, maybe you have to be, and you find a team in your local market, but the only role that they have is, you know, an assistant to the sales department, and you don't want to be in sales, you should still do that because that's a really important role in the organization. That gives you an eye into how the business works, and and, and it gives you an eye into how fan, how important fans are and connected in the building. You know, the other you know thing people do is get kind of hung up on titles and stuff. It's like don't worry about the title. Worry about collecting the skills uh, and and maybe do a variety of different types of work so that you can figure out what you're good at because what you go out of college thinking you're going to do might not always be what you are good at and or what is the thing that lights your fire every every time and you know thinking about the whole sports future especially coming from outside sports uh it's easier to say you can you know you can have a role in a non-sports organization that will still lead you on a path ultimately into sports marketing so for example um you know instagram twitter facebook snap they all have sports verticals within their organizations uh you know media companies the bleacher report and you know espn everybody has sports verticals sometimes that's an interesting path to get into it as well and then the third uh way to get into it is through advertising agencies marketing agencies, event marketing agencies. Again, you'll get a unique view into the sports world. And um, that is so valuable when you finally get into it. What are you bringing from your toolkit that you can apply to sports? And then uh, vice versa, what can sports do for you that helps you grow as a leader? I think that's great advice. Well, we can uh, leave it there. Heidi, we know you're very busy. We appreciate your time. Uh, we appreciate you joining us on the Revenue Above Replacement podcast. And, and good luck with the rest of the NHL season. Thank you so much. Yeah, we return to play. We're opening uh, our return to play on 8-1. So we've got exit good games going on right now, but tune in on August 1st for the big moment. 